Another edition of the Behind the You podcast, and we are joined by baseball coach Gino Damari. We'll get to Gino in just a second, but first I want to tell you the podcast is brought to you by UFIT Gyms. Train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms as the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join. All it takes is $1 down. Let's go Canes. Baseball season around the corner. Gino, thanks for joining us, and uh, happy to dig in on some Canes baseball. Well, thank you for having me, Josh. I'm looking forward to this. All right, so uh, this is where I wanted to start. Do you hear J-Ro in your sleep? <laughs> no, I don't. I can honestly say I do not hear him in my sleep, but I can tell you when I show up to the ballpark, and I have said this over the years since I've been here for such a long time, whether it's as an assistant or going back as a player and now head coach, when I the, the PA guy usually comes on, meaning him, but not always him usually comes on at a certain time. And I forget when it is it's six 15, six 30 when the, you hear that voice. And um, when I hear somebody else's voice, no offense to them, but I, I get a little, just that little bit of kick in the gut. Like, Oh man, you something's know, something's missing. I, I something's that, missing. Yeah. We're not going to have that special juice that, you know, the fans are used to, or you just used to certainly all of us that have been a part of the, the light for so many years, that's how I feel about Jay when it, you, you come to the ballpark. If you, it's not often, but there are a few times <laughs> that you be here, and uh, and you feel it as soon as that voice comes out. Coaches and athletes say block out the noise, but has he ever done something and you just been like shaking your head? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, back in the day, he he along with the maniac and others, uh, going back with John Ruth they kind of had more flexibility, shall we say, <laughs> uh, to do things. Some create, some creative maneuvering. Yes. And, uh, and I liked it as a fan. It was, it was entertaining, you know, and uh, uh, you know, as you get older, I guess, and now you're a coach, you realize, okay, you, you got to be careful. You can't cross the line, but I always thought everything was in good taste. Actually, the other team seemed to have fun with it. The other coaches, heck, he was making fun of coach Frazier half the time. Um, which, gosh, I'd like to know how Coach Frazier felt about that, whether it was the maniac. But Jay would say things that were just, you know, off the wall, and but yeah. it was entertaining. You think, and, Mike, you think Mike Martin liked him? Um, I think he did, <laughs> yeah. And knowing Mike Martin and liking the entertainment, because he involved him too. And anytime we played FSU, there was always things that we involved them with. And this was going back to when I played. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think they did. I don't think he was ever across the line or anything like that. So I can't think of anything off the top of my head all right all right we'll play a little setup this year and see we'll see when we get you yeah. <laughs> all right so gino with so much to talk you've been around you know you've been around this team you've been invested in this school and this program for a super long time but let's let's start with the current what excites you this year's team i know i know coaches trying not to get too high too low but what excites you about your squad for this season well we do have some key veterans back and you know the the, the, the infield Basically, the infield's back with three juniors that were all part of that number one recruiting class, if you will, a few years back. And Yo-Yo Morales at third and Don Patelli at short and Cephas at first. And then those guys are all juniors. And then Dorian Gonzalez battling right now at second, but uh, did start for us the majority of the year as a freshman last year. You have all those guys back. And uh, along with some other guys that started or platooned, you know, a little in the outfield, whether it was Eddie Viegas or Zach Levinson and a few other guys. But I, I like the fact that we have, a, the, you know, the nucleus of the lineup back, you know, it's seven out of nine guys. Basically, we lost Max Romero and uh, Jacob Burke. 
but I feel good about that. I'm hoping we can score some runs. I would have liked to have scored a few more runs in that last day that we lost by one run to Arizona and Ole Miss. Pitching-wise, we got certainly a lot of returners. So for me, we got 20 returners back from 35, uh, up 35 players, 20 returners back. I'm excited about that. You know, as, as a coach, you just you just want to have a chance. You want to have a good enough team that you feel like you start to see, we got a chance to win this. Fortunately for us at Miami, most of the time we feel that way. We no doubt feel that way this year. It's just all got to come together. It's a crazy sport we play in. <laughs> I don't know many others that the 64th team out of 64 teams wins the national championship. Do you? I don't know of any. No, no. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in basketball. No, it doesn't. And I know all sports don't have 64, but I think you get my point. Of course. The last team that got in won it. Our sport is just a crazy sport. And it, anybody can win it if you get hot at the end. And we were ever so close, but we didn't. We didn't get it done. We lost leads late in the last two games. But, you know, I've talked about that probably too much. It's it's That's behind us. I'm hoping, though, that our team remembers it and, ha- and remembers that experience when we get to that point again, hopefully, and put ourselves in that position again that we can uh, learn from it and bust that door down and get to the next level. At the end of the day, you want to get to Omaha because if you get to Omaha, all eight teams are on fire. To get to Omaha, all eight teams are playing well, and then it's anybody's game, and that's how it works out there. So you mentioned that number one recruiting class. They're juniors, which is kind of like seniors in a way, right? They're the draft-eligible guys. How comforting, I guess, maybe that might not be the right word, right? But you got that core, right? You got that core of talented guys that have cycled through the program two times, and you kind of hope this is the peak year. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. So, you know, those guys that I mentioned are been starters, basically, while they've been here. Uh, we do have some other positions that we have to fill, but I feel pretty good about the guys that we have in those spots. But it does make you feel a lot better having them guys and you can't forget about, you know, the guy who finished the game with a baseball in his hand, which is to me the most important guy in the field at that time, the closer, which is Andrew Walters, which he was the best closer in the country, in my opinion, last year. And we got him back. We're fortunate to have gotten him back. That guy can really make you look good when you turn the ball over to him. You got to have a lead late, obviously, to do that, to be in that position. Uh, we were able to do that quite a bit last year. And he was he I can't remember too many guys as dominant as him. It's going to be hard to duplicate that year. We don't need him to do that. We just need him to be Walt. He should have some more uh, things in his arsenal. He's got his breaking ball is better. If he can mix that in with his fastball, because he pretty much dominated with one pitch last year, which was his fastball, the breaking ball is going to help him. We've recorded with him. We haven't released it yet. He, I don't remember the game, but he basically said that there was one instance. He came in, threw it, guy took him yard, and then he was like, mowed him. The next three were like, boom, 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 <laughs> like – he didn't take very kindly to that. Well, I remember it too, and I can't remember the team, but I remember it, and I remember exactly what you just said. It was a home run. I think we were all in shock because we hadn't seen that happen, and then he went boom, boom, boom. It was almost like a wake-up call for him, and then it was just real quick. It's an interesting last year, again, a dynamic because I've never seen a guy just dominate with a fastball, a fastball that's pretty much up in the zone, Got a lot of what we old-timers call giddy-up, but I guess now they call it high spin rate. But just got a lot of life to the ball, and there must be some deception because most of the hitters, I'm sure, know what's coming, and they just could never get to the ball. And he was a strike thrower, and he kind of came right after you. There was there was no tricks to anything. But hopefully this year, and I think he's going to need it, uh, you know, because it's hard, like I said, just to do that over again. Uh, the breaking ball has gotten better and sharper and more a little inconsistent, but it's better than it was. Uh, just having that in the hitter's back of his mind is going to make him 
that much more effective. So when, when you go out to the mound or when you, when you, I guess when you bring him in, did you, are there a lot of words uttered or did you just put the ball in his glove and walk away? I just put the ball in his glove and walk away. No need to say a word and screw anything up. Let him do his thing. Now, when he was, said he was coming back, did you send a note to the folks and just say, I'm glad you had two and they were two years apart? That timing worked out very well. J.D. and I met with the dad and, uh, and Walt. And yes, we had known that we had his younger brother, Brian, was coming to us, which was a huge reason why he did come back. But listening to Walt and his dad, both very educated. The dad is a former athlete himself. The dad makes Walt and Brian. Right. Look- I heard he's a he's a he's a six eight giant. He's a giant. Walt's not a little guy, but you look next to him. He's like looks like a little kid next to him. And the dad coached back in his day basketball and baseball. Uh, he's a basketball background guy, but I think it was important for Walt, you know, to work on his craft and, and develop the breaking ball. He wanted to be ready when he signed. He wanted to be. He was. He's honest. He's like. I'm not ready from the standpoint of I want to move quickly. I don't want to sit around and dabble in the minor leagues too long. I want to move fast and I want to have my develop my pitches so I'm prepared for that next level. And that's that's what he's done. So we, we're very fortunate. This doesn't happen very often. So you mentioned Omaha. You've been public about Omaha probably since the day you took over. I thought the cool thing about him, Gino, was that he's very open about Omaha. Like he owns it, right? That I he came back to be with his brother, but he's very open about I want to go play. I want to go play for the whole freaking thing. How cool is it that one of your leaders, one of your best players, embraces that? And what impact does it have on the rest of the locker room or the clubhouse? It's huge, and you you know it's something I probably should say more of when I get asked this question because he did say that in the meeting. I want to go to Omaha. And this, I don't know if this is good to say, but I don't hear that enough from kids. I don't hear that enough from players when you recruit kids. I'd like to hear that more often. I want to come because I want to play for a national championship. I want to go to Omaha and I want to win a national championship. You don't hear that as much as you'd like, but I will tell you, they hear it every day from us, from me and from our coaches. We don't shy away from it. It's put out there. Um, they're aware of it. They're, you know, The guys are aware of the history of our program. You know, sometimes you wonder as a coach, Jesus, to put too much pressure on him or not. But I was always brought up in the, in the fact that as uh, as a kid and also as a coach, you've got to be able to handle pressure. My goodness, if you can't handle that, there's no way you're – how you expect them to handle that when it gets to those situations. So we, we talk about it every day. When the players break every day, they break and say Omaha. Again, we – we felt like we had a great, we did have a good opportunity last year. And again, we just didn't take advantage of it. And that, that hurt, that hurt a lot because, uh, you know, we, uh, we thought we had a team to, to make a run there and uh, it came up short and it happened fast. It all happened in one day because we had to play back-to-back games there, but it's mentioned a lot. Love the fact that Walt has mentioned it and he mentioned it in that meeting that you just you know brought up. And I, again, I wish more guys would, would, would talk about that. would come back like him and say, we had a few guys I was disappointed that left last year that signed a little late and I thought they should have come back. But again, that's their decision. But, you know, you wish that they would say what Walt said, hey, man, we came up short. I want to come back and win a national championship. They'll never get that opportunity ever again. And what normally happens, Josh, is that they come back three, four years later when their minor league career is over, which is very normal. I played two years, which is kind of really the norm. A couple of years you play and it's over. And they all say the same thing. I wish I would have stayed another year. Every one of them say the same thing. I wish I would have stayed another year. And you're like shaking your head going, golly, unbelievable. But that's the way it is. Yeah. And and look, we we know what you're trying to accomplish. I'm from here. So I know I know about the program, about the school, football. There's there's some things that mirror each other. 
I would imagine also you get there, right? You see it, you're in that park, you're in that environment, and that also can have a sort of momentous effect on the next year in recruiting, right? Obviously, you want to go and win it, but if you get there and you experience it, they can have a tangible sort of uh, experience of, of wanting to return. It's a, it's a domino effect of so many things. You mentioned recruiting, which is huge. You go to Omaha, that's going to help your recruiting. You go to Omaha and you're hoping you have players that are returning, which you always will. I mean, you're not going to lose the whole team. And that's a, a huge experience for them to be able to, when they go back, and I've been to Omaha 12 times, I believe, two as a player and 10 as a coach. And I can tell you as a player, going as a freshman, and I was nervous as hell. And then I went back as a senior, and it was not a big deal to me. I was very comfortable in that environment. And again, it's an unusual thing because in our sport, you now we play, if we play in front of 5,000, that's a lot of people. Well, there it's 25,000. That's packed. And you got ESPN trucks everywhere. And you, it's the closest thing to the big leagues. It's like being in the big leagues for 10 days or two weeks or whatever it is. And so it's that second go around, or for me, then 10 more times as a coach, uh, I got to see the players' looks on their faces, especially the rookies, wide-eyed as can be when they first pull up to the stadium. You know, you could just see it. Boy, they were they, they, they were in awe. And then you look at the veteran guys that had been there before, and it was just like, this is home for us. Let's go. We're ready right. to go. So you got, we got to get there first. You know, obviously, none of our guys have been there because it's been since 16. So we, we do got to break that door down and get there. And I think that will, like you kind of alluding to, kind of be a domino effect for so many things to help our program. We talked about Walt. We talked about Omaha. Yo-Yo Morales, you know, in terms of his impact on your team. But you said something interesting as I was getting ready for this, right? There's the talent. But you talked about how he handles himself, maybe off the field. Maybe it's also on the field as well. But how is he? What does he do? How does he prepare? How does he lead or set an example for the rest of the team? What is unique about him in that regard? I think the biggest thing is his confidence. I think that trickles down, that carries over to other players that see how confident he is. You know, he's, look, he he, he struggled. One, like he dominated as a hitter. You're not going to dominate all the time. You're going to have some ups and downs. Uh, but he usually handles it very well. You don't ever see him, you know, if he gets into any kind of a slump, you don't see him get down or discouraged. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, obviously the tools and the talent, that's typical if you have your best player guys look up to always the best players. But if he's not a good guy, if he's not a likable guy, that can hurt your team. That can be a real problem for your team. Yo-Yo happens to be a very likable guy. Uh, I think guys look up to him, and again, he carries himself. I got that football term. You know, I don't use it very often, but he has that swagger about him. Uh, I guess, and he he's very confident, and that's contagious to other players. Who are some of the other guys from with a bat that can do some damage? Well, Kafis. Kafis to me is our best all-around player. He's the term we like to use is CHP when we go out recruiting, which these guys have heard me say quite a bit now. You know, you grade players and their whatever it is. If it's a pitcher, a hitter, their tools. You grade them in their tools, and you you grade the speed and their hit tool and their power tool and their arm tool their defense the glove tool and whatever else and then at the end the last tool you grade is chp which means can he play does he know how to play the game can he do all the little things does he know how to wear a pitch does he know how to can he walk can he read the balls in the dirt can he steal a base can he defend can he hit the ball to all fields does he give gr grinding taxing at bats 
CJ does all that stuff and more. He led off for us last year, but he could easily be our three-hole hitter. I mean, I've said this a few times, and I don't know what our lineup's going to be. I really don't. I've kind of – here we are getting ready to play our alumni game on Saturday. We've got to put – for the first time, I'll have to put nine guys in the lineup. It won't be a scrimmage where we got everybody playing. Only nine guys will be playing. And uh, CJ could be hitting one, two, or three. But I'd like to hit Yo-Yo and CJ together. I don't know if that is the right thing to do, but I'd like to do that. So, and I think we might have a guy that can be a leadoff guy for us that can help that happen. But he's definitely our best bat the ball skills. And in all those other things I talked about, just all around player. Don Patelli to me is the key. He's the key guy. When we were playing well last year, the first half of the season, and I think we went up to as high as second in the country and we won like 14 games in a row and we were clicking pretty good. Dominic was swinging the bat. He was batting six for us and we had a really good lineup with him hitting six. And he was swinging the bat very well. We all know he can play defense, but that first half, he when he was swinging it well, we were a really good team. And then the second half, he he struggled. He struggled offensively, and kind of we did too as a team. We started to struggle. We we I, I kept changing the lineup that that six through nine. I just didn't know who to put, and I was guys were just not consistent, and so I had a platoon guys and. With that came inconsistency, scoring runs, and consistency with winning games. And uh, we need Dom to be a more consistent hitter. And he doesn't have to hit three. He doesn't have to hit three fifty. He can hit three hundred, and at the college level, that's still good. And and get on base and grind out at bats, not be one pitch, one out, but give taxing at bats and get a lot of three two counts. And because he's a good base runner, he's probably him and Kafis are our two best base runners. And he, we need him to score runs. He's got to get on base and score runs. If he can do that, uh, boy, our lineup could be really, really good. So he's another key guy as well of the veteran guys. So that lineup, uh, Gino, like how many times will you fill out a card before you settle it in before the game, the alumni game? I've already written down. I don't know. How. <laughs> I, I, it's it's crazy. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but, of course, I talk to my coaches. I always do. J.D. and I will sit down. We're talking about the offensive lineup. The pitching rotation is important, uh, obviously, very important in our sport. The pitchers, the guy on the mound. So we uh, we have an idea who our weekend guys are. We just we got to figure out who's one, two and three. We'll make that decision after Sunday scrimmage. And um, we know who our closer is, but we got to make some decisions in the bullpen. The bullpen's always a little harder. You got to kind of the season as the season goes on, it'll dictate, you know, who's the matchup guy, lefty and setup guy and all these long guy and. You know, you have an idea, but that's a little harder to figure out. Like I told the players in our first team meeting, guys, you make out the lineup. I yeah. just write it in. And I would like to write it. And I know a lot of when I said this, I know some coaches cringed a little bit, but I said, hey, I'm just telling it like it is. I don't want to have to write different lineups all the time. I'd like to have one lineup and I want to stay with that lineup because that means if I do that, we're going to be a very consistent ball club. I don't want to be messing around with the rotation. I don't want to be messing around with the lineup. Injuries happen, and I, I get it. it. It won't be the same all year. But the point being, we don't need to be flip-flopping all over the place because that means guys are inconsistent. And that's what we did the second half of the season. We were, we were bouncing guys around left and right. A coach said it once, and I thought it was great. I think I use it with my kids. I don't determine playing time. You determine playing time. So it would be the same thing here. I don't determine if you get in trouble or not. You determine that. I'm just observing what's going on. That's correct. They have a tough time these days realizing that. Uh, yeah. It's really not their fault. It's always quick to blame somebody else. 
Right. Uh, I try to get that message into them every single day to look themselves in the mirror. I think it's a hard thing for kids to do nowadays is be honest with themselves. But uh, I have that conversation a lot with them. It, you know, you got a guy's got it. This is the time of your life. You got to grow up and you got to grow up fast. You got to become a man and, and handle things and adversities and all those things. And certainly our sport gives you a lot of sports in general, gives you a lot of adversity. But, um, you know, it's those are things you got to be able to handle. And some kids can handle it better than others. I just wish more handled it better. It seems more fewer handle it good than, than the, the majority, unfortunately. So, Gino, um, 19 years as an assistant? Do I have that right? Correct. That's correct. Okay. So how many times were you managing games in your head? And, and, and why, why I bring that up is, you know, now you move a seat over, right? Or you, the titles change. And, and, and so I think sometimes people look at the job, and I ask this to everyone, football, whatever. You go from position coach, coordinator, coordinator, head coach, right? Like you're in the chair and you're observing three. But then you're three, right? And it's yeah. like, wait a second. I didn't see that one. You know what I'm saying? Like the things in the job that you thought you knew, but you're like, what? I didn't. I, I, I just, I'm learning. I'm learning too a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I did that a whole lot. I really, in a, I, being honest, I, I, my job was as a hitting coach, outfield coach, and I hand, handled the base running, I guess. Uh, aside from the recruiting, you're talking about kind of game day stuff. Right. The recruiting is the recruit. We all got to recruit, but. I did, and I really focused just on my guys. I was the third base coach for a good portion of my career, and the hitting guy and 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 the outfield guy, and that took up my focus, especially the hitting. Uh, and of course, when you're coaching third over there, you're you're. I didn't think about changes. I really didn't. I didn't think about defensive replacements late or base running replacements. That was coach's job, and that's why he went into the dugout coaching third, which I coached third. It can be a little difficult at the times I'd rather be in the dugout because it's easier for me to communicate what decisions I want to make because you're making them a lot late in the game. Whether it's, you know, we could be on offense and I, I want J.D. to get somebody <laughs> down in the bullpen because the score just got tied up. We need Walt down there. We were down a couple runs. Now, the good beauty of it is J.D.'s been here a long time. So J.D. and I are, are pretty much we can look at each other and know you know, what's going on there. But, you know, I want a pinch hitter. I can see three bad, you know, hitters down the lineup that, ooh, and I see a guy behind me in the bullpen and he got a lefty up and, oh my gosh, I got a couple lefties and I need to get a righty going. So what I normally do, so these things I did not do as an assistant, but now as a head coach, before I go out to third base, when we start getting later in the game, I always talk to, I try to talk to J.D., which Coach Morse always would do. JD, come over here, get right up by the lineup card. And we would have these meetings, by the way, before every game. We would meet and say, okay, here's our guys that we're going to bring in in this situation, this situation. So we know it can change. There's no doubt it can change. But most of the time, we know we've already talked about it way before the game. So we have these meetings so we know. But you know, our inning's over defensively. We're getting ready to hit. I got to hurry up and talk about JD or what we think we need to do. Are we leaving this starter in? Are we getting, okay, we're going to get this guy ready and all that. And then Lopes could get over here. Okay. If this guy gets on, I want this guy running or Lopes, get this guy ready for defense. If we take the lead, I want him going there and oh, we might need this guy ready. He's hitting third and they bring up a lefty and we want this righty to hit. So it's a lot being said in a very short period of time. There's only two minutes in between these innings. So, it's crazy coaching third and doing all that stuff. People don't see all that, but there's a lot going on down there. The I just got I, I just got a little frazzled. So let me rephrase the question. So yeah. learning all the things 
that you weren't responsible for when you were the associate head coach, right? And just how you worked that through your head before season one and how you've continued to develop that aspect of what you weren't doing on a regular basis. And then I'll ask, so why are you coaching third base? (laughs) Well, because I'm a base running guy. That's That's one of my strengths is I'm a base running guy. I still coach it. You know, I don't, I, I don't go outside of, you know, I, I obviously as a head coach involved in everything, but my strengths is outfield, base running, hitting, you know, and, and but now as a head coach, obviously I have to overlook everything and I have a hitting guy right now, but I still stay on the outfield and I still do the base running. So that's why I stay at third, even though I, and, and again, very difficult when I started and probably not very good at it, but like anything you learn and you just get better and better and better. I certainly, before I became a head coach, the you know, when I became a head coach, I made sure that I, in practices and in scrimmages starting in the fall, I really, I guess, educated myself. And we even did some scrimmages where I had JD coach a team and I would coach a team in our scrimmages. So I would make sure that I'm getting used to doing moves and things like that and, and, and just kind of get my feet wet there. But there's no doubt at the early on, I was probably not – um, I'm just not as prepared as I am now. There's no doubt about it. It's just one of the things you got to learn. You try to think ahead of time, but I go back and think of my first uh, season coaching and we had, we had won the first game against the Gators uh, up in Florida, big series, obviously. And they're probably, they're ranked high. Second game, we had the lead late. We had a three run lead late. Whoever the starter was, was throwing outstanding, just dominating him. But it went quick on him, fast, and we had to get the bullpen going. And we brought a guy in, and I didn't have anybody ready behind him. And and it happened, I mean, really fast, where they just boom, 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 and tied it up. And I should have got this guy out of there, and I didn't have another guy prepared. And that hit me right away going, I mean, my adrenaline was kicking. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm in this position, and I should have had somebody ready. I'm going to guess you didn't sleep very well that night. No, I did not, and we lost the next day. Uh, and it, it was very, very tough. Uh, and it, it's a learning lesson, just a learning lesson. And like I tell the players all the time, you guys make mistakes, coaches make mistakes. I've never been one coach to say I know it all. I tell the players all the time, I'm still learning, guys. But the point being, when you make a mistake, learn from it and don't make it again. You cannot keep making mistakes over and over. If I do that, I shouldn't be. I, I got to get out of this business. And 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 the players. That's something we talk about a lot with these young guys, especially coming in now, coaching, just the travel ball and all the showcases and whatnot. Guys don't know how to play the game. They just don't know how to play the game. And so it's 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 a constant what we call high maintenance (laughs) where we just got to constantly repeat ourselves and stay on them, which is part of our job. But you like guys don't need to keep telling you things over and over. You make a mistake. Fine. Learn from it and don't make it again. And those are your best, usually your best players, by the way. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you. So I'm going to, I'm going to think I'm going to open Pandora's box here. And, and this is going to be, this might be the pivot point where I tell you, that's why these podcasts start going and, and, and they don't end. 
So you just said something that I was going to bring up later, uh, maybe not in this exact way, but now we're going to tackle it here. Showcases, youth sports, it could be it could be any sport. I see with my kids that one plays football, one plays basketball, seen it in baseball. It's a conversation uh, a lot of people have in terms of the the specialization. But you said kids don't know how to play. Why is it? Why do you think that is based on how the specialization of sports has become? You think it would be the reverse? <laughs> yeah. And and let me let me make sure I, you know, include that the players are better in terms of they're bigger, they're stronger, they throw harder, they're not faster, they're not faster. Players are not faster. The, the players are slower. They're not as athletic as they used to be because they don't play the multiple sports. But what happens is with these travel things, they don't practice. They just go play. And let me tell you, playing is good. You need to play to get better. But you got to practice, too. You got to go over the fundamentals. You got to learn how to play the game. And, you know, what comes with that? You know, learning how to slide. Learn how to read balls in the dirt. I'll go over base running right now. Learning how to get jumps. Learning how to hit the bag right. Learning how to take turns. Learning what to, where everybody is in the field and knowing, having awareness of where everybody's at. So that'll help your instincts before the ball's hit so you know what you're doing. Defensively, certainly, you know, I coach a position that's probably the least coached position in our sport, outfield. Because what do coaches most tell outfielders? Go to the cages and hit because you got to be a good hitter to play. But we take defense and outfield is important. You need those guys to run balls down. They need to take good angles. They need to get good jumps. They need to have good footwork. None of that stuff is coached. How about you, how, how, how irate do you get at missing a cutoff? Yeah, well, we were very high the other day in practice. We, were, <laughs> well, we worked on single double cuts, and we just mixed them up. You know what happened? And I said it to our guys. I said, dang, the ball's coming out of your arms really good. They, I got, I was told by my coaches, the players were long tossing, and one of the coaches, when they got done long tossing, he came to me and says, Chino, they threw the you know what out of it. They were they, they and they go even this guy and this guy, which don't normally stretch it out. They got it stretched out. I said, okay, good. Well, this is interesting. They were throwing throwing the ball well. The problem was the ball was coming out of their hands so good they didn't make an adjustment to get on top of the ball more. So they were airmailing a lot of cutoff guys. They were feeling good about themselves. The ball was coming out. But it, you got to get on top. You got to make an adjustment. Some days your arm's not feeling good. Hit the cutoff guy. Some days your arm is feeling really good and you want to really cut it loose. You still got to get on top of the ball and throw the. If you don't, the problem is most of the time you're not going to throw somebody out, and the the hitter is going to take second base. It's going to take an extra base, or multiple guys on base is going to take extra bases. So that's a problem. Now you don't have the double play in order. You know, there's just so many things that happen and change the complexity of the game when you don't do things right, just how the defense has to line up now and all those things. So in the pitching side of it, Josh, you go watch a showcase and a pitcher will throw for one or two innings and he'll try to throw as hard as he can. Forget where he's throwing the ball. He's going to light up the gun because he's got all the scouts and all the recruiters back there. And it's not about pitching. It's about let me throw max effort. I'm throwing. Basically, let me throw the ball instead of pitch the ball. And that's how you can get hurt too, by the way. But again, that I, I hate having to say all this, but that's kind of how it is a lot in a lot of cases, not all cases, but a lot of them. And so I like the athlete. I think we've lost some, some of the athlete that it's been too just baseball all year round. Uh, and 
I think arms need to take breaks. So, and everybody knows that, but some do it better than others. You got to be careful in these places like the state of where it's warm, where you can throw right. every day outside. You got to be careful there with the, these guys because you'll end up getting a guy come to you and he does. It's got a bad arm. So uh, obviously those guys got to take breaks. But even for hitters, you can't hit every single day. You got you got to take a break at some point throughout. We tell our guys during the holidays to take a break for a little bit, three weeks, you know, after during exams and everything. Get in the weight room, get stronger. You know, it, it, it's amazing when you let guys take a break for, from swinging for a day, which we do, or two sometimes, or we're light in hitting, how they come back the next day and their bats are jumping through the zone. They're so fresh. But it's like anything. Have you ever worked out and you take a break from it for a day or two and you and you go back in? I'm on I'm on the ten year break, Gino. Yeah, I'm on the well, ten year break. <laughs> you should be really strong now then. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, well, I, again, one last thing. I don't want to go on a complete tangent here, but uh, the I think it was the book Billion Dollar Business. I think it was, and and uh, about pitching, just arms, right? And and you hear about just muscular development, right? Is compromised because you're only using the muscles you continue to use in the specialization. You mentioned everyone talks like the NFL draft. He was a multi-sport athlete. Yet I and look, I see with my own kids, right? My wife's like, get get my older son to play basketball. He plays football, except when he's playing basketball. He's not playing football and everyone else is playing football. And it's it's a little bit of a tear, but you're you have seen a tangible difference in the athlete that comes through playing your sport. Yeah. So um I kind of like your podcast because you can we can just kind of go off here and just yeah. talk about different things. But so many things are going through my head right now. Speed. Okay. One speed. You just don't see that speed and that quickness that you get from the athlete that plays other sports. One thing I notice, especially with infielders, because you want some hit mobility, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, because these guys have to have that in their fundamentals of how they feel the ball in different ways that they feel the ball. I see a lot of tight hips. And in basketball, football too, basketball especially, you don't have, you know, you get that flexibility with the jumping and the bending and the explosiveness and in football too, for that matter. Um, so you, you don't, you don't see that. I can tell when I go watch a baseball player, that guy, he plays football or basketball. You can tell. You can just tell by how athletic he is and his hip mobility, how he runs and how he – You guys – ask Gina, do you guys take that into consideration? Absolutely. We just don't have a lot of them down here, especially. You don't have a lot of right. more guys in our backyard. You probably see it more in the Midwest – I'll use Louisville as an example. They get a lot of guys in, in that Midwest area. They get a lot of guys that play football, and you can tell they're athletic. And what comes with that, too? Toughness. You're playing in some other sports. It can be pretty tough to play football, contact sport. But you also the competition. You're playing more sports and more games that are being competitive, so you're being taught how to win, how to compete, how to handle all the adversities and everything that come with it. I just love the athlete. And again, I get, I get the point of, well, while they're playing one sport, well, my, my son's playing it all year round and he's getting better and better and better. I get it. But look, I'll just speak for myself. I played football, basketball, and baseball my whole life, all the way through high school. Um, even ran track my senior year, which helped me tremendously. And it, it didn't, I mean, I was able to play here for four years at Miami and I thought it helped me out personally in so many ways. So many ways. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a big fan of, of guys. Obviously, 
you got to be able to play. I mean, of course, you come out here and not play. You got to be able to play. But, you know, Jacob Burke is a good example of a guy we recruited through the portal last year from Louisiana. He was the toughest guy in our team. He was a linebacker in football at Louisiana, and he had that mentality. But he had that athleticism. And when he got to us, Josh, we only had him for a year. He was an athlete, but there was some rawness to his skills uh, in the outfield and swinging the bat. But the athlete, they get it quick, man. They pick it up quick. And when they do, it's like they take off. And he picked it up really quick. I wish he was back here one more year because I tell you what, he could have been one of the top outfielders in the country and signed for a lot of money. Um, But um, he's a good example of an athlete that uh, maybe he didn't play all year round. But I tell you what, when he got to college and and he started getting around things and learning things and picking up things, he passed by a lot of guys quickly, very quickly. You know, sometimes you forget. The talent that this program has produced. I mean, just the big time talent this program has produced. And what I was going to ask you was, as we were talking about, some of those guys from the past were some of those guys athletes. Was a, I don't know who, but like Burrell, Braun, like were some of those guys athletes as well as baseball players? Burrell, sorry, that's a, my bad. I mispronounced Pat's name. I don't want to do that. I, I don't, yeah, yeah. Pat, I, yeah. I missed that. But Pat was an athlete. I'm not sure if he played football. Uh, or any other sports in high school. I, I can't remember. My first year coaching was 97, and that was his sophomore year, so I didn't recruit Pat. But Pat was when I got here. I mean, and I knew I had seen him before I got here. Being a game, he's a good athlete, a really good athlete. Braun did not. Braun was, but he was athletic. Braun was very athletic, but he was not a multi-sport guy. But, but I'll tell you what, Braun, Braun's mom built a cage <laughs> in his backyard. And any kid that I've heard parents built them a cage in their backyard when they were little kids and used it all through their life, they're usually pretty good hitters. And uh, I believe Braun's mom even threw batting practice to him, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, so but, who are there? Who, who are? Let me rephrase. Who, who are some of the guys on your team that were freaky athletes? On my team when I played, or you either when you played, or just when you were coaching, like guys like that from the past that were like he was a freaky athlete. Well, uh, just I'm trying to go back to when I played. Ray Noriega was a heck of an athlete, and I knew Ray in high school. He ran track, and he was the top hurdler in the city of Miami. And he was an outfielder. He played in the Yankee organization. was a great, great uh, was a great athlete. I, I might name some good athletes that you'd be surprised at. To me, one of our all-time greatest pitchers who might not look like an athlete, but because him and I are so close. Alex Fernandez is a heck of an athlete because I played all the sports. I played basketball with Alex many a times. He's a very good basketball player. You know, thinking of guys that, uh, you know, in the era of me coaching, I'm not sure exactly how many of these guys played multi-sports, but, you know, a guy like John Jay was to me, when I used the term CHP, that guy was to me one of the greatest CHP guys I've ever coached. He knew how to play the game. And he could play it in all phases, all phases. And so um, probably not surprised he's coaching then, right? I'm not surprised he's coaching. I just did a breakfast yesterday, Casa Cuba. Uh, they invited me and, and Skip Shoemaker or Schumacher, yep, the, Schumacher, yeah, which is an impressive, impressive guy. I sat next to him and then John was there. It was a packed house. And, and I spoke and I told Skip, I said, you're already off to a great start because you hired John Jay. <laughs> And then I heard Skip speak, 
And uh, and I was really impressed. I, I think the Marlins nailed it with this guy. He's very impressive. And I already know how John is. And I don't know the other coaches. I'm sure he's surrounded himself with some really smart guys. But anyways, yeah, you know, I'm having probably tr- tr- trouble. That's fine. All the guys that we'll get get you on to another subject. We'll just have you. We're gonna have you pontificate on something else. You said this, so I'm not. I don't think I'm taking anything out of out of context. I don't remember the year, so that that this part I might be off on. But you're basically like about our program, right? Miami's program, right? It's four. I think it's four championships. The the streak, the ungodly streak of going to the postseason. And you said, "Hey, we were a powerhouse. We haven't been lately." And we need to get back to Omaha. And you mentioned before, it's really been since 2016. So as you took over, what was your big picture plan of like, how do we get back to where we all, where you want it to be, where people want it to be, where, where it's been? What was sort of going through your head when you, you know, you finally took over to making and accomplishing those goals? So, well, it starts with recruiting, you know, first of all, it starts with me surrounding myself with the right people which I believe that's, we do have the right people here. And then it's recruiting. You, you, you got to get the right players. It's not just one thing, Josh. There's so many things that go into it, but you got to, you have to have talent. You got to have players here. And you got to have players that know how to play the game. You could have talented guys that just have no clue how to play the game, but that's where you got to be a coach. You got to develop and you got to coach them up. So in all those areas are very, very important. I'd like to think that those are strengths that I've always had being a recruiter and hopefully being a good teacher, but you got to have people around you that have that same philosophy. I'm not a patient person. I've coached for 19 years and an assistant. I've been here a long time. I don't plan on coaching until I'm 70 years old. That's not going to happen. So my window is very, very short. As a head coach, we all have goals, and I have my own. And, of course, I have a lot of pride in my in our program and in, in being a cane. I'm a cane. I've been a cane since the day I was born. I'm born right down the street. But I have a lot of pride in myself as a person and want to be successful. And I want that to trickulate down with our coaches and our players. And that's something that we preach all the time. So it's an ongoing message. It's an everyday occurrence out here. It hasn't happened as quickly as I'd like. You know, I felt good about 19 and turning kind of, we struggled in 17 and 18. It wasn't good. 19 kind of got the the, the momentum back and, and excitement back and, that was a young team. And then, you know, I felt really good about the COVID year, but I can say all I want that I think we had a chance there, but I think we have a chance every year, but we really had a good rotation that year, probably the best in the country. And it didn't come to fruition and nothing you can do about it. And uh, we went backwards in 21. I, 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 that was the toughest year for me coaching. That was a very difficult year. I can't put a finger on why we went backwards. You can make all the excuses in the world, but I'm not an excuse guy just didn't we just didn't get it done and um you know last and then here we are last year it's kind of gone by very fast by the way especially with (laughs) the covid and everything and so you know last year i felt like we put ourselves in a really good position we just didn't get it done and we got we baseball is a it's a tricky game we we, we've probably made it look easier than what it is for so many years people think it's just automatic you go because you put on the uniform it isn't and it's gotten harder. That's probably be the hardest thing to fight, right? The hardest thing to fight is, you know, the complacency, right? It's it's fighting that just because, you know, what's on your chest, right, and how it represents this sport. You know, I tell our players it shouldn't be that hard. We haven't done anything. It's not like you guys have done anything, and nobody's been to Omaha, for goodness sake. So there shouldn't be any of that. 
but yes, you're right. But I said this before, our, the history of our program is is as good as, I mean, you can count it on one hand. It's otherworldly. We're on one hand of five, of five schools, the history. Miami's going to be in the top five with the history of what we've done. But that's in the history. We haven't, we're not part of that. These, the players, we're not part of that. Me as a head coach, I'm not part of that. As an assistant, I am. As a former player, I am, but not as a head coach. And the players aren't either. And so I think I had used the term when I was first hired. We have to create our own history. We were a powerhouse. This was your, This is what you brought up. We were a powerhouse. We are not right now. We will not become a powerhouse until we get back to Omaha. And even then, that we hope will build what we talked about earlier in the conversation a consistency of us being able to get there. You got to break the door down first. And once you do, I think that can really, really open some things up, but we got, we got to get there first. All right. You know, so there's a part of the story I did not realize. So if you can elaborate for us, when you signed with Miami many moons ago, if that signature doesn't actually write in this, right? Maybe not exact that exact table, but I believe in that office is where you put your name, the paper in front of coach Frazier uh, if you did, if that did not happen that night, you were on a plane going where the next day? LSU. So I was. Um, so <laughs> I actually took my recruiting trip here, official visit in football. Jimmy Johnson was the coach, and I took an official visit. That I did not know. Yeah, I don't tell many people. My roommate was Steve Everett, who played at Southridge, was an uh, was an all all American at Michigan, and played in the NFL for a long time. He was huge. He was my roommate. We stayed at the. They put us in the Dayland Marriott. So I, I took my visit here while I had a basketball game that 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 weekend, that night. I, I wasn't here the whole – I mean, I was here, and then they had to drop me off in the basketball game. I was all over the place. It wasn't your typical official visit. But that's what – I took my official visit, not for baseball, but for football. But I didn't sign here. I ended up – at the end of my senior year, I had an offer from FIU. I had an offer from LSU. And I had an offer from somewhere else. And uh, I had an official visit to go to LSU on a Friday morning. Thursday, the day before, I had practice at Westminster. My father, who came to all my practices, was there. After the practice was over, like I always did, I'd go see my dad. My parents were divorced, so that was kind of my time to spend with my dad. Me and my brothers were always around sports, and that's where we would see our dad. And so I would talk to him after practice, and he says, hey, Coach Frazier wants to meet with us. He's going to offer you a scholarship. And I said, Dad, I got a ticket to go to LSU the next day, tomorrow. Uh, what do I do? And he goes, don't worry about that. We're going to go over to Miami, and you're going to sign with the University of Miami. And that's exactly what happened. I came over here a Thursday night. Coach Frazier was sitting right where I'm sitting, different chair, different desk. But this is where he was sitting in his uniform, which was such a, you know, Coach Frazier was a god to me in this town. It was Don Shuler and Coach Frazier were the two icons of this town growing up because we didn't have the other sports you didn't have any other pro sports other than dolphins and the canes and uh i sat here at the at the, the uh, desk and i signed and then i had to make a call and i was so nervous i chick i was a chicken i could not muster up the courage to call skip bertman to tell him that i committed to miami and my head coach at the time, Coach Hoffman at Westminster, I'm like, Coach, can you call him for me? <laughs> that ain't happening. So I had to call Coach Bertman and tell him. And let me tell you, I now as a coach, I know exactly why Coach Bertman was the way he was. He was not happy. He was very, very 
uh, short, quick, maybe a little rude, <laughs> but um, he, he didn't like what I had to say. And I'll be honest, I, I, you know, as you get older and you've been doing it a long time, and this would have been early in Coach Bertman's career, because this was 1988. He started LSU in the mid, early, mid 80s or whatever. So he hadn't been there that long. And uh, as time's gone on, I've handled it better. But there's still some that get you. But early on in my recruiting, boy, when I get upset when you work so hard to get a kid and they go somewhere else, it's like a kick in the gut or the, or the girl telling you she's going to break up with you. It's, it's almost like that. It really is. Absolutely. Was it your dream to play at Miami? So like when that when he get when when he comes to practice and says I think he's going to offer Yeah. Was that the dream come true? It's a done deal. They didn't they didn't this where do you want me to sign? I came to every game. I never missed a game. I went to every football game. Every football game. My favorite player, I go back to when I could remember as a child was Otis Anderson. At the time he was Otis Anderson. He became OJ Anderson, but and then I, of course, remember Jim Kelly and then the, the, that era and then all that going forward after that. But I went to all the football games. We didn't have basketball. Nope, couldn't go to basketball games. And I went to all the baseball games and I remembered all the players. They were my heroes. They were my idols. I sat right here and I went to all the games with my dad and all the football games with my dad and my brothers. And again, that was our time with our dad because we, my parents were divorced and my dad was very, very focused in his job. But when he was and he was it was sports and we all were in sports. We played football, basketball, baseball all year round, all the way through basically high school for the most part. So that's a lot of sports. But we attended the Canes was was uh, was our team. And it was our that's like a pro team to us because we didn't have the Marlins, you know, so that for me, the Miami, the baseball team was, you know, like I said about Frazier, he was everything to me. And then, of course, the uh, the players, too. So. My dream was to be a cane. I never really even thought about pro ball. Never thought about being a coach here. But but dream was certainly to play a sport here, whether it was football or uh, or baseball. And of course, I played basketball when they started playing down at the Hyatt. Down oh my there. God, I remember I into that, and I went to all the games there, and I loved that. I mean, I was awesome. I loved sitting in the, the, the Hyatt. theater, the theater, right? You yeah. it, the seats were only on one half of the. Straight uh, up, they went straight right. up. It was dark in there, and it was yeah. just so cool and. You saw the lights of the, the the court, but it was dark everywhere else. And yeah, it was, it was great. I had a great childhood. I really did. I had a great childhood. So, uh, Gino, a few more things. So, um, your dad, obviously, also big businessman, community th philanthropic. It is your mom who pushed you or into coaching, or not maybe pushed, but like sort of persuaded or supported you to get into it. She. So the first person was when I got done playing uh, pro ball with the Red Sox. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And it happens fast. I'm just, you're done. <laughs> All right, what do I do? And, you know, okay, I'm fortunate. My family and my dad and the farming business. And so, you know, I, he gave me a few months and he says, yeah, you need to go to work, son. So I went to work for him. But I was never, it was never in my heart. And, and I'll be honest, working in a family business is tough. Very tough. Tough with the brothers and the dad and just, it, it's business. It's it's business. So it's, the it's business, tough. Gino. It's the business. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was tough. He's very tough. So I was like, this is not for me. And my high school coach, Rich Hoffman, who's a legendary coach, yep. we talked and he, he said, hey, why don't you come out and help out with the team here? And I remember I did. I went out and it was one day I went up my first day. I went out and I coached, didn't know what to expect. 
and a lot of it had to do with Coach Hoffman. This guy, he, I mean, his ego could have been, you know, shut up. You sit back. You ain't ever coached before. Let me show you how it's done. Coach Hoffman was not that guy. He was not that guy. He just let me go. He let me run, run a bunch of things that, you know, uh, he thought I would be good at. And when the day was over, I remember I, I lived on my own at the time, and I called my mom and said, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So she was very instrumental. My mom passed away, sadly, like 12 years ago to the same disease my dad did, which is crazy, ALS. You know, before she passed, I actually got out of coaching for a couple of years. I did get out of coaching for a few years. I had three kids. I hardly was around them. I almost missed my first birth of my first child because I was on the road recruiting all the time. And Couldn't get back, right? I, I, that's a whole other story. I, I barely out almost missed the first my first my time. wife my wife so i used to i travel with football i used to travel with basketball and before the birth of my first son my wife basically took me off the road for like six weeks because she's like you're not cut you're not gonna be able to get back and you're not missing it yeah and so i josie my my partner in crime i was like sorry bud <laughs> yeah. but she does always joke the night my first son was born uh, February 7th. Um, Mommy was playing Duke in basketball that night. So, you know, when, when he's off in, you know, off in the incubator, I, I was looking over my wife's shoulder watching watching some of the games. So she, she does remind me of that. Yeah. Well, she did. My mom did play a big part in it. She she basically told me, you need to get back in it because I was out of it for a few years. She, she went ill and uh, she kind of, my mom had a way about, you know, you were happy coaching. You need to get back into it. And and I did, and I've been doing it ever since. So my mom, huge, absolutely. Probably, yeah, the biggest reason, other than Coach Hoffman getting me started in it. All right, so anyone that knows this program, Coach Frazier, right, the, the wizard, the magic, you said he was your, your hero icon. You got him on the tail end. But I, uh, what I was curious about, Gino, was there was the wizard of the magic he created at Mark Light building the program. And then he was your coach. So as a player, were you as aware of that part of him? That's his legacy? Or what was the stuff you admired being his player, as opposed to the guy that sort of invented UN baseball? Yeah. Well, it's always it's hard because when you you know, I think when you look at somebody from the outside and you put them so high up, it's kind of hard to live up to that, right? I mean, I think, I mean golly, you got to almost be perfect because you are perfect to the, to the little kid looking at the person from the outside. You don't know him. Um, but coach was pretty close. I always said there's he, you know, you hear this term in all sports, I guess nobody's bigger than the game. He might have been, that's how big of uh, aura he carried around. And I saw that as a player for him for the four years I was here, which was his last four and because of that, that, especially that last year, he announced he was retiring before the season started. Just the amount of people in the college baseball world, and I'm talking about our biggest competitors, the Gators and the Knowles, and these people respected and revered him so much. He, he was like, he just walked on water. He really did. Coach was not a guy to coach the X's and O's. He did not teach me the fundamentals of the game. He taught me the fundamentals of life. That's what he taught the players. He was a life lesson guy. He was a tough guy. He was a very cool guy. He was an excellent speaker. He gave some of the greatest speeches. I used to say, because I, I remember being a football player, I was like, dang, man, I wish I had some pads on right now. 
I don't want to go play baseball. I want to go play football when he gives some speeches to the team before games, which is normally not the case you do in baseball. Ever so often you do them, but not every game. And but he, he could give some speeches and he could talk and he was just he was a he carried himself in such a way he had the swagger. I mean, that guy had some serious swagger. And, How fun was and the I, the park? Must have been fun back then. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not fun now, but there's there it's like right. it's like the bar is like the bar you know the bar in your community that's just everyone knows you and this and that it's got all its its uh, idiosyncrasies like the park it was like uh i mean all the stories we've heard right it just must have been a fun place to be player fan whatever it was a circus it was an absolute circus in a good way um again there was no other sport so we the attraction was there was nothing going on baseball was the only thing going on you didn't have the football season going on, right? You know, or football canes, you know, basketball was just coming in. February. You had nothing to compete against. So the big, this, this stadium was packed all the time. The maniac had free range to do whatever he wanted. J-Row was unbelievable. The, we had smoke before every game hovering over oh, the right. turf. That's the right. smoke would hover over the field. You could smell it from a long way away. I'm in the outfield and I could smell the dang thing, you know, hovering over Coach Frazier had an open door policy in the dugout, wide open. I mean, people would come in our dugout during what? the during the game. <laughs> he'd sit with his legs crossed. He'd, he, I mean, he's chewing his gum. He's got his little snacks there next to him, and he's just ho hum, no big deal. We could be down; it didn't matter. You know, come on in the dugout. He, you know, be hot. You know, uh, boosters or whoever, and <laughs> it didn't matter. He he, he was just. It was such a different scene back then. It really was. And I got to be a part of it and play in it. I know it can't be exactly like that, certainly, but it would be nice to get the atmosphere, you know, somewhat back. It's not like we need 5,000 people to come. Just 500 would change the atmosphere here or 1,000 people uh, getting that back. But, but yeah, it, it, no doubt it was – It was, uh, and he was the he was the guy who ran it all. He was the magician of it all. He Coach Coach Frazier was the promoter of college baseball. Anybody that plays college baseball now, they don't even know probably who he is, these kids. But they should, and they should thank him. The reason why first game ever on ESPN was right here. was right here. I was at the game, I think it was 1981, if I'm not mistaken, against USC, which oh, the Kings won. And wasn't that right. the wedding? Didn't they do the wedding? They've done the wedding, too, but they didn't do that for uh, the first game on ESPN. Oh. They did a wedding. They've done so, – oh, my gosh, they did so many things, but – He's the reason why college baseball got on ESPN, Omaha. I mean, my goodness, the Miami Maniac was the – he was the College World Series mascot. Could you imagine the, the College World Series mascot for the eight teams is the Miami Maniac? That was our mascot, but um, he was the official mascot. You don't think Coach Frazier had something to do with that. He had his hands in so many things. But a great – just a great, great – life lesson coach that's to me what he taught more than anything and then we we should, in all fairness i mean jim morris comes in after that and to, now you got you talk about living up to that now he's got to live up to it and produce and then stuck around for 25 years or whatever it was he did he did he mirrored and he, they mirrored each other's careers i mean one was here for 30 the other was 25 they both one went 13 years to omaha the other went 12 and both won two national championships and they were totally different people Totally, not even close to being the same. 
that tells you anything about being successful. There is no one way to do this thing. Now, Coach Morris was smart enough to keep his, uh, you know, his assistants that, that Frazier had had, and he didn't change a lot of things, but Coach Morris was different. Coach Morris was more involved. Again, I played with Coach Frazier his last four years. I mean, there'll be times where Coach Frazier was in his coat and tie up in the office or he had to go to some function or he was raising money. And he might not, he might come out on the field at the end of practice and talk to <laughs> Coach Morris was again he was he's trying to live up to I mean my goodness uh, right not uh, as easy not legend. as easy right like not like just think about that that and then and then he did it and he did it his way because he was very involved and uh, we don't have many coaches you know back when Coach Frazier coached he had like five six seven assistants now you got three and one's a they call a volunteer. We're going to change that, by the way. That rule's going to change, thank God, finally, uh, come July 1st. But you had to be very involved, the head coach, you know, uh, because you didn't have many assistants to go around. So Coach Morris, I learned a lot from him as a coach. Obviously, I learned more from him because I didn't coach under Coach Frazier. I played under him. Coach Morris taught me a lot uh, about being a coach and uh, in, in all facets you know, it's the coaches out here today. He's, he's, he's actually, he's come out to some practices and uh, him and I were just reminiscent about things today in practice. Gino, uh, we could probably do another hour or two, but I'm not, I'm not going to, you got, you got three games this weekend. You got lineup cards to fill out and we got to move guys around in the order. We got to figure out who's pitching when. So uh, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I appreciate it uh, greatly. I enjoyed it. I, I literally could go on forever, but that just means you have to come back another time. Well, I'd love to. I could talk forever, too. It's something, obviously, I love doing. This is what I love doing. I'm passionate about it, and I appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed it, Josh. Absolutely. Gino, thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. We'll be at the park. We always make it out to the park. It is honestly, you've said it. I'll support it. Come out, walk up, grab a beer, have a pretzel, watch the game. It's beautiful weather. It, 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 there's no better way. My kids, when they play peewee, literally, they don't play anymore, but, you know, put the uniform on. Get onto the field, meet the players. It's absolutely special. And it's easy. And I'll say that about baseball and basketball, the games that are on campus for families. Get in, get out, have a good time. Everyone's happy. You get home. It is it is worth the price of admission for either one. And I do it myself. Can't say it any better. I appreciate that. Yeah, 100%. All right, Gino, have a great night. Good luck this weekend. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Okay, bye. There you go, Gino Damari, head baseball coach at the University of Miami, joining us on the Behind the U podcast. You can change the course of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-224-4000 to discover which course is right for you.